0: really how we communicate, you know, within the application has changed. So if things within the application have changed, then we need to create new technologies that protect that. Because yes, you can protect from the outside, from the external point, from whatever that is, but you also have to protect those inner communications. So, you know, really what we've seen is this this whole shifting of left of security to kind of bring that together. And really what shift left security means is that hey you're looking at things at the from the development perspective so you're thinking of things as the application and the development side
1: hello everybody welcome back to the stack overflow podcast i am ben popper director of content here at stack overflow joined as i often am by my colleague and collaborator ryan donovan hey ryan Hey, Ben. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. Today, we're going to be diving into some topics you and I have discussed before, observability being a sort of top of mind. You know, when this has come up before, what really emerges to me is like the increasing complexity within many organizations now of understanding what's happening upstream and downstream, you know, layers and heaps of microservices, you know, ingesting data from different places or having a bunch of APIs that are both internal and external. And just, you know, sort of having like an audit trail, you know, a certain a certain kind of transparency into why something is working or not working well. And another thing we're to talking to, about today is sort of this shift left, which has come up before in conversation, but I have to admit, I'm not familiar with it. What is shift left?
2: So when most people talk about shifting left, they're talking about getting things into the software development lifecycle. We did a post about shifting privacy stuff left. And I think, you know, today we're going to be talking about shifting security left. And I think these... Shifting things left makes it so you're not thinking of these as an afterthought.
1: You're baking it into the foundational sort of construction or whatever you're doing, the architecture decisions, all that kind of stuff. Right. All right. Well, our guest today is Michael Chenitz from Cisco. Michael, why don't you say hi to the folks? Let them know, yeah, a little bit about who you are and how it is you got into the role you're in now.
0: Thanks, guys, for having me here. I really appreciate it. So how I got here is is I was very into cloud native. So cloud native is really something that that I believe in. I really am a technologist. I was in the CTO office at Cisco for a little bit and led a lot of the initiatives around cloud native. And really what I wanted to do is get some of the information out there to other people in the community and work with the community to learn about more things. And so I got really excited about doing that and got into the position now where I am... Just working with developers, working with people that want to learn more about this. And I'm on a constant journey to to kind of learn about this stuff. So it's really great to be able to engage both ways and have this this conversation that continues. That's who I am now, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. So let's just back up a little bit more. Like you uh, said, you were working
1: within the CTO office at Cisco. How did you get into software development? Like, just take us a little bit back further. So folks who are listening, many of whom are practicing software developers, they understand sort of like, you know, where you're coming from, what stack you've worked with and how it is you ended up now, I guess, focused a bit on the security side
0: of things. So it's interesting. My career has been all over the place. But as a little kid, my first book was me and my Commodore 64 programming. And it was basic. <laughs> and it was great. I love that book. It was an awesome book. We programmed in sprites. It was great. So that was good. And then you know, later on, I ran BBSs. And then I programmed in C because we ran WWIV, which was a BBS program. And you could just hack on it and write stuff. So that really got me into like expanding libraries and doing it that way. Kind of the old you know, legacy way of doing things. And I say that and I sound so old now. You're on the cloud journey. It's okay. You're on the cloud journey. Yes, that's, that's, I'm on the cloud journey. So, you know, so we did that. And then, you know, as I got more into, you know, an age where I needed a job, I started to get into network. Network was the first thing I did. So I got into network consulting. I did that for a little bit and I figured out that I really want to automate some of the stuff in the network. So I got really into like Python programming, Perl, things like that. You know, I did that for a bit and then I got into security. So then I was in security for about 20 years of network security where I programmed a lot of different apps to kind of, you know, do tests about how to exploit different, different areas and to use Metasploit and things like that and write scripts and things for that. And then I started to see this whole thing of cloud come about. And cloud was this, was this big thing where I wanted to, you know, engage with, the community around cloud. So I started learning like Go and like things around that nature. And I've, I've been around pretty much every language, you know. Yeah, you're multilingual, it sounds like. Yeah, right. I, I've been around <laughs> a lot of languages and I use them all in combination of, you know, whatever I'm doing at that time, because really I'm lazy at heart. So I want to automate away anything I can. All developers are. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that's how I, that's why I really understand, you know, developers, because I am one, you know, I'm, I'm a developer at heart.
1: So you said you were you were trying these exploits. Was that like in a for network stuff? Was that in a in a pen testing capacity? Like you were doing stuff and seeing if you could break it
0: and then where to fix it? Yeah. So you know, I I would engage with different companies and we would see if we can get in and then we would you know obviously write about all the loopholes and holes. And it was only one aspect of it because obviously there's a huge social component to that too. But right. absolutely, you know, it's it's creating those those exploits from what you learn and then using them.
2: So you've been you've been interested in this the cloud native how security. Changed with the cloud, with you know applications being super distributed.
0: Yeah. So first, you got to. I think you got to step back a little bit because you know you have to understand why we got there. So the reason was that you know we had all these legacy applications, use libraries. Libraries were on a single server. They typically sat there, and everything was on a single system. Now, what you've done is you've said, okay, well, it's a lot easier if we could just maintain one piece of the puzzle when we're developing. So we can only. We could concentrate on one little area. So if it's billing, we could have a billing microcontainer. If it's contacts, you can have a contact microcontainer. But what happened there is that, you know, all these different containers have to communicate together. So now you're really making the operating systems really your network because it's really just ports. And now there's this network of different ports that are all communicating together. So really how we communicate, you know, within the application has changed. So, if things within the application have changed, then we need to create new technologies that protect that. Because yes, you can protect from the outside, from the external point, from whatever that is, but you also have to protect those inner communications. So, you know, really, what we've seen is this this whole shifting of left of security to kind of bring that together. And really, what shift left security means is that hey, you're looking at things at the from the development perspective. So you're thinking of things as the application and the development side. So when you're thinking of it from development, you think of a few different things. You think of how do I make sure my code is secure? First of all, is there is it written to the right spec? Is there an open API spec? Is that written correctly? What is going to communicate between all these different containers? You know, what are these ports and how do we make sure that the, you know, only the APIs that need to be called are being called once it's like, you know, up there and it's committed and it's it's part of the the delivery. You know, how do we understand what needs to actually communicate? And let's limit it to that. And the first thing you really need to do is understand and get this observability first to understand what you have. You know, a lot of times you're coming into a, you know, a development environment. You might be new to that environment, but there might be an existing application. And so you have to understand the APIs that are being used and you have to understand that first. So there's
1: a lot of things involved. API best practice and security, definitely a topic that really appeals to our audience we have one random article about best practices and REST API that just will never stop getting traffic every single day. So yeah, talk to us a little bit, I guess, if you could focus in on that area. And I think you had mentioned there's a product on the Cisco side that sort of applies to that. So not to hype your book too much, but like, why did you build that and how does it work and why would a developer choose that over something else? Why would they need it?
0: Yeah, no, great question. So, you know, to me, it's scary. So when you had libraries before, you could scan your libraries and see the vulnerabilities because it's all on-prem, it's all under your control. Especially with things like Log4J now, you could see that people didn't really understand what the APIs are made of. You know, Mm -hmm. so not only the APIs, but the libraries that you use. But when we go back to the APIs, you know, those APIs are something that you have to understand because they're made up of, of these different libraries and things like that. So If you don't know that, then how can you secure it? You know, and also what kind of risk do you have when you're consuming those APIs? Because as a developer, I can tell you, I'm the first one to say, okay, well, let me look on Google and say, okay, I need to do this. Oh, this is really easy. This has great documentation. Okay, let me download that because it's super easy and I could live with two lines of code. I could include this API, but I'm not doing the research to figure out whether there's exploits, whether it's written well, whether the open API spec is correct. You know, so there's so much that goes around that. And this is common. Come on, you know? Michael, that's NPN's that's problem. That's not your problem. <laughs> Somebody else will, will fix that. Absolutely. So it's, you know, and that's a huge, huge thing. So we have to be careful about these APIs. We created an open source tool called API Clarity. What a great name, because we're just giving that clarity to these APIs. What's communicating? So you're going into a new, you know, a new application coming in from the outside and you want to figure out, you know, which APIs are communicating with which. And this will give you that, this will map it out for you. It also show you like the open API spec, whether it's written correctly. So there's a lot and it's open source. So we want the community to hack on it and to make sure that, you know, we have newer functions or whatever else we need and we're wholeheartedly supporting it. So yeah, it's, it's great. That makes sense. And
1: so, right, clarity, that's kind of the observability part of it, right? That's like Absolutely. letting people see what's going on, what's talking to what. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and, and also we, we lead into, you know, like if you want to secure it, we actually have other apps like Secure App that allows you to secure it afterwards. So that, that other piece of it, that shift left piece of it. A lot of people think of Cisco and they think, hey, just network servers, things like that. But we're really, really going forward in the cloud native. And that's, that's really what excites me. What new things do developers have to take on to enable that, that shifting left? Yeah. So that's the big question. So here's what I always think about being a developer. Again, this is the big thing I think about. How does it affect my pipeline? You know, because as a developer, I'm willing to do anything I can with security, unless it affects the way that I already work. Right. So that's, <laughs> that's the key there. You know, you're, you're just up to that level where you want to kind of maintain. And if it adds an extra line of code and, you know, in the CI/CD process, that's fine. But if it's, if it adds too much, then then I'm out. So yeah, so so that's that's the line you got to take there. And really, you know, a lot of this stuff you could either use within like VS Code, or you know, there's probably some scripting you could do to kind of include it, like especially the open API part. You know, just just to figure out the spec and make sure that hey, you've committed something new, is it still working the same as it should from an API perspective? That's something that's so common in orgs. Like there'll be a change in the API, and then they don't update. You know, something doesn't update properly, and then something doesn't work. And you want to verify that you know th- things are the same. So right. yeah, one of the things that we keep in mind is minimizing what changes have to be made on, on that side because that's, mm. that's key to people adopting it. Right,
1: you want it to be kind of a, a turnkey thing. One thing I guess I'm curious about, obviously, yeah, you mentioned Cisco has this great history in networking and that's sometimes what people think of when they think of the company. Now you're talking about some tools that are very different. They're aimed at cloud security and the CI pipeline. Do clients come and just pick, can they pick and choose from the menu? Like, we don't need any of your networking stuff. We just want to work with API clarity and app secure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so, you know, first of all, it's different channels, I would say, you know, there's the traditional sales. That's one mechanism of, of what we do. But, you know, what? developers figure out their own way. Developers go and they, you know, they'll look online, they'll Google things, they'll figure out the problem that they're trying to solve. And that's a lot of the way that they'll find find us and find the tools that we use and we enable them that way. But, you know, you don't have to come to Cisco for networking. You don't have to. I mean, we do great stuff around there. We do great stuff around networking, great stuff around servers. But we also do great stuff around cloud. I mean, we have a Kubernetes platform. You know, a lot of people probably don't know that. You know, we have things around shift left. We have things around observability and optimization and things all around cloud technologies. You know, we, have, we even have a service mesh that people don't even realize, you know, a lot of people don't realize we have that. But they're learning. We're getting the word out there. It sounds uh, like there's a lot of stuff that shift left
2: that's been traditionally kind of part of the DevOps role. Would you say that we should get DevOps people more involved in the development lifecycle, or engineers
0: should be more DevOpsy, or maybe both? So it's funny because I was having this conversation with uh, Stephen Augustus, who works with us, who's head of open source and also works for the release for Kubernetes special interest group, and you know. Everybody wants to be termed different things like DevOps, SREs, you know, software developers. But the truth is in organizations, a lot of this converges. So it's not always so well defined. You know, I think that people in organizations want to get stuff done. And if somebody's not getting something done, then they're gonna go do it either themselves or they're or it's not gonna get done. So, you know, I think that. In well-oiled, you know, organizations that have really defined the process, this is a cultural thing, then they may have those split out really well. And there might be like DevSecOps and DevOps and, uh, and all these different groups. But the truth is, in a lot of organizations, you don't see it that well-defined. So it's really hard to say, you know, whether, whether one group should get more involved than another. I think you get involved where it makes sense.
1: I think what you're saying makes sense. As I listen to people talk about it at this point, right, you can get a certification in DevOps and it can be in your title and you might have a whole department. But in another sense, it's like agile. It's like a methodology. It's a way of thinking about how your teams are going to be working together and what is the best practice, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think that's you're right on point about that. So are there additional skills that
2: folks will need to deal with the security in the development lifecycle,
0: well, I think that the skills are you know in DevOps. So in DevOps, you have to understand containers, you have to understand container management, you have to understand you know APIs, you have to understand Linux, and you know all kinds of things that are that are around there. So I think that that doesn't change what what we add kind of on top of that. And this is where the the roles can diverge a little. Is is the security aspect of that? So how do you secure these things? But I think that in general. You know, a lot of the DevOps people that I've, that I've talked to have that security knowledge too, because it's kind of part of that. So I don't know that it really changes that much. You know, I think that people that are in this industry and are that forward thinking are thinking about this stuff anyway. You know, so you may not be able to implement it because of different cultural issues inside of your organization, but you're definitely thinking about a lot of these things. It's a very passionate community. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I want to bring it back to uh,
2: observability. We've done some some posts and uh, some podcasts with observability folks, but I'm not sure we've had people talk as much as this about the security applications of observability. Can you go into that a little bit?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a true believer of you don't understand your security posture unless you can visualize it. So a lot of the tools, especially in cloud native and open source are really great command line tools. And I love command line tools, by the way, and I love programmability and automation. What a lot of these don't have is a way to visualize big picture. And, you know, so, so many different groups can utilize that. One is security. One is IT. One is DevOps. One is, you know, everybody can use a different slice of that kind of view and, What you need to do is be able to see as much as you can in that view. So everybody talks about full stack observability, you know, things like that. Who really, I mean, if you really talk about full stack observability, you're talking about from the application perspective, all the way down to like the wire, you know, who really does that? Not anybody, but there's a lot of great tools that will help you along that journey. And so you have to think about what you, what's important to you from a DevOps perspective, the application is what's important. So from the application view, you have to understand how you secure that application. And the way to do that gets more complex when you're talking about containers and you're talking about, you know, different microservices and different things that need to communicate. And especially if you add like a mesh and you have hybrid cloud and you have things like that, you know, there's so many things to consider. So you really need a good view into that to, to visualize and realize how they're communicating. Also from a performance level, SREs need to understand that. So there's a lot of lot there.
1: I just want to press pause there because I realize I don't know what you mean by a mesh. So I have a sense of what hybrid cloud is, and uh, definitely observability. but yeah, what is it what does a mesh mean in that? Can you define it
0: for a, a sort of layperson like me? Yeah, that's a great great call out there. I'm, I'm glad that you added that. So the uh, service mesh is something that that goes on top of, or actually I should say, underneath of containers and microservices. You could have a mesh that might extend on multiple clusters, so something like Istio, that might extend over multiple clusters, and those services can communicate at a gateway or an endpoint, so that way they can communicate as if they're at like a single cluster, but over a hybrid cloud. So that way it adds more complexity, but it also takes away some complexity too. Is that orchestration or no, that's different? So it's not really orchestration. So it really adds some encryption. It adds logging. It adds Mm -hmm. some, in, in our case with service mesh manager, it adds visibility so we can see some of that stuff. So it adds a lot of, a lot of that stuff and takes the onus away from the developer. So you know, previous to using a service mesh, you might have to create like encrypted services. You don't have to worry about that using a service mesh because it takes care of the encryption.
1: Yeah. My understanding is that it takes care of a lot of the sort of common functionality around services. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You're at an organization that has multiple clusters and that has a hybrid cloud and on prem. You need all that stuff to talk to each other and to be able to work together. You need a mesh. Yep. Okay.
0: That's great. I
1: love that. <laughs> <laughs> there's a i work in marketing snappy copy that's not like an
0: advertisement yeah, there. that was great
1: <laughs> yeah i
2: mean i think if we can get some more information about like how the development life cycle will ac- actually have to change for people is it going to be more tickets is there going to be someone new
0: sitting in on the uh sprints so i mean i think that hopefully the if it's done right then things don't change that much for you. You know, the, what, what changes is maybe you have a security checkpoint within some of that stuff, but it's considered as part of what you do. So it's, it, we don't, we don't want to add steps. We never want to add steps to the developer. What we want to do is just like add a little gate that really doesn't affect their life that much. So right. it doesn't add too much. It doesn't add, you know, it could take into account a lot of the stuff that you've already done, but just adds that extra security on top. And that's really what, what we're talking about there. Almost like an automated test, like a little checkpoint along the development lifecycle that says, "Have
1: you built this? Is this in here?" Before you go further, make sure this is part of you know what you what yeah, you're
0: got. Yeah, so with like secure app, we would do policy, and the policy would you know tell us, "Okay, does this meet our policy?" If it does, then cool, you're marching on. If it doesn't, then it has an added check, and we, we remediate it, and we move on. Yeah, I mean the way I've seen it is that there was you know
2: a security service that touched everything, but there was a specific dev team managing that security
0: service which also handled all the auth stuff too. Yeah, and I think that's that's right because, you know, developers want to do everything they can to get that app out. We don't want to inhibit that. And that's that's exactly the main thing.
1: Michael, you're clearly a passionate developer, somebody who's been in the industry for a while and learned a bunch of different things. When you, you know, look at the stuff we just talked about, are there projects you've worked on recently or projects that, you know, folks have worked on that you've been able to take a look at where you saw this stuff in action? Like give us, you know, give us an example of this in practice that got you excited or an area where you know, like, yeah, some real security thing came up. That was an issue that this might have solved. First
0: of all, I think that API clarity answers a lot of that question of what do we do with APIs? How do we figure it out? How do we detangle all this? Hmm. So I think that's one of the open source projects that, that we happen to do that I actually really believe in because I think there's, there's a need there. So, you know, that's definitely one of them. I don't get to develop anymore, just to be totally honest. You know, I would love to, and I and I do hack around a little bit when I get a chance. Unfortunately, I don't even get to play these guitars that are behind me right now because <laughs> it's just my my life is too busy and too crazy, but I would love to. I just don't have that time anymore. Right, okay. <laughs> Maybe
1: we can direct people to a few places where they can check this stuff out. That's That might be like a nice way to wrap things up and give a little call to action.
0: Yeah, definitely. I don't know if I can mention, you know, I have a cloud. Podcast called Cloud Unfiltered that has been going on for a long time and that I'm very proud of. So definitely check that out. But APIClarity.io is a great place to go to check out our open source project that will help you with those APIs.
1: All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. I am going to shout out the winner of a stellar question badge, a question bookmarked by 100 users. Thanks to John Livermore, awarded 20 hours ago. Why does GitHub recommend HTTPS over SSH? So if you've ever wondered, we've got a little knowledge on the network that can help you out. I am Ben Popper. I am the Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show, do leave us a rating and a review. It really helps.
2: I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Arthur Donovan. And if you have a great idea for a blog post, please email me at pitches at stackoverflow.com.
1: Michael, let the folks know who you are, where they can find you, listen to you, and if they want to check out some of the services that you talked about, where they should go.
0: Yeah. So Mike Chenitz, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, all of your different social media you know, sites, usually at M Chenitz. And check out Cloud Unfiltered, which is our podcast all about cloud. We talk to every single different type of person in the cloud and talk about trends. It's great. All right, everybody.
1: Thanks for listening. Yeah. If you want to know more, we'll have a bunch of links in the show notes and we'll have a blog post yeah, up from Cisco all about this topic you can check out as well.